Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. Dr. Krista Jones graduated from the University of Oklahoma College of Dentistry in 1981, at which time she opened her private practice in Edmond, Oklahoma, and recently retired in September 2019 after 38 years in a fee-for-service practice. She is currently on the Oklahoma Board of Dentistry and is head of the Oklahoma Delegation to the American Dental Association House of Delegates and past speaker of the ODA House of Delegates. She has been Oklahoma Dental Association Dentist of the Year and the Oklahoma Sections of International College of Dentists and Pierre Fouchard Academy's Dentist of the Year. Krista is the past president of the Oklahoma Dental Association, Oklahoma County Dental Association, Oklahoma Association of Women Dentists, and the OU College of Dentistry Alumni Association, and is a founding fellow of the J. Dean Robertson Association. Krista was appointed to the ADA's Council on Communication and was their liaison to the ADA Council on Membership. Ethics is one of her passions and through fellowship of the American College of Dentists has given ethics presentations to various audiences. Please help me welcome Dr. Krista Jones. So tell me a little bit about your story and how you got into dentistry. I mean, how did you enter the profession and, you know, what have you done with your career in dentistry? Well, originally when I was graduating from high school, I was kind of, I was wanting to be an astronaut. Ah, very good. So that was kind of a quite different from dentistry, but then, and I had taken physics all through high school, but when I got to college and took physics, I decided, oh, I hate it. I'm not going to do this. So my next door neighbor happened to be a maxillofacial prosthodontist, and he had told me all along that I needed to go into dentistry. So I started observing him, and he also was a forensic odontologist, so I'd go down to the morgue with him. And so then I decided to go ahead and apply to dental school, and I was lucky enough to get in after my junior year in college. And then I uh, started a private practice, just hung my shingle out, when I graduated in 1981, and the interest rates were 22%, and I went to seven different banks, and I finally found one that would give me two above prime. So I got my first loan at 24%. Oh my goodness. It was a crazy time to start dentistry. So I just worked hard and was able to pay off my loan, and continue on. I was leasing originally. And so then when I, I built my biz, built my office and have been there the rest of the time. So been in private practice. I have a fee for service practice and for 38 years. So that's kind of remarkable in today's day and age. Sure is. So you had a private practice for 38 years. Now, are you retired? Did you say? I did. I retired a, a wonderful young dentist approached me and wanted to purchase the practice and I hadn't really planned on it that way but it was kind of the right place at the right time and boy was that fortuitous considering I had about 35 cases out 
on implant restorative that we're waiting on osseo integration so i finished those up in the next three months so by the middle of january i was done so wow you just finished yes three months ago <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness i know perfect timing unbelievable it really is and the nice new dentist is doing great he's taking over the practice and he's maintaining his fee for service i mean it's been a heck of a time for him to start out but we'll just see how he how it goes right you know he may change his philosophy of practice because of the times and what's needed now is he younger or is he established no he is two years out of dental school so he is like 27. god bless him good for him <laughs> no. i'm actually really you know i don't know him from anyone but i'm really proud of him that he's done that so good for him that he had the wherewithal to you know take the leap and just buy is he local to the area he is a little bit farther south about an hour and a half he's from lawton and when he first got out, he was in an associateship with another dentist, and that dentist had promised him to buy him a practice in Edmond, and he didn't do that and bought a practice in South Oklahoma City. And so then Josh was having to drive, you know, 40 minutes to work every day, and he saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't ever going to be in Edmond, and that's where he wanted to live and work. And his wife is a hygienist and they just had their first baby. And so he called me at a CE course about practice transitions and said, I saw you were sitting in front of me. Are you thinking about selling your practice? And I said, well, I am, but I already have the, there was a guy that was going to purchase it originally that I, that had worked for me when, before we got into dental school. And so for, all the years in dental school and one year post-residency he said he's been saying he wanted to so when i finally got all my numbers together and he got to see how much it was going to cost he said well i'm not sure that i can do that so he's working corporate right now and so i said josh it fell through do you want it and he goes yeah oh great yeah oh my gosh that's perfect and that's exactly how it, it should work out I don't know if you know this or not, but the advent of COVID-19, we're seeing a lot of DSOs approaching senior dentists and offering to buy all of the practices up. So I am really thrilled that this one particular one stay away from a DSO. Not that I have any ill will towards them, but I do think that we have to be extremely careful of the future of dentistry right and it may be that it's going the group practice route and that we don't have any options but i do think i would love to be able to see our young dentists enter into the profession on their own terms and if that means that they hire a dental service organization to run the practices but they still own them you know i think that that is more than a great idea because you know there's so much that we have to do on a day-to-day -day basis and i know that i'm speaking to somebody who did live this too that we have more than enough to do that we really love just being in our chair and treating patients and the administrative stuff is quite honestly for the birds 
you know, I never learned how to do my, my accounting correctly. I always <laughs> got in trouble with my, with my accountant when it was tax time. So I don't know about you, but it, you know, I would have thought about that many years ago if, when I started, but you know, by the time DSOs came around, I was at the end of my career as well. So good for you. Now, do you have any advice on, you know, since you is, had such a long established practice, do you have any advice for young dentists who are thinking about buying established practices? Like this, this young man just, you know, called you off the cuff and you weren't taken aback by that, which is great. I think that they shouldn't be afraid. So any advice for our young dentists on how they should proceed? You know, I think you have to have confidence in your ability and your personal relationships. And I think also when you start practice by yourself or with another partner that you've been trained well and you can do this. And I just always have the philosophy that treat people how you want to be treated and with kindness and empathy and that you'll be very successful in anything you do. I agree. I agree. Both very good sage advice for sure. I know that when I did sell my practice, the new owner, you know, unbeknownst to me, came in and started painting the whole office the next day. And oh my gosh. I will say that not only were the staff upset, but the patients when they came in were really taken aback. And I hadn't had a chance to send out letters yet. Oh, I know. So it was a cacophony of errors. And yes. It was not the best of transitions, you know, it's over with now, but, but I do think that there's good ways to transition a practice and some unfortunate ways to transition a practice. You had a good way. I had an unfortunate way, which is too bad. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the young man that was supposed to buy the practice was actually in his dental school class. And two of his other friends have been contacting me because their transitions have not gone well at all and asking me for advice on how they should treat the outgoing dentist in these various situations. So where was your practice in, Jay, before you went to the school? So it was in a town called Lexington, Mass., which is about 20 minutes just west of Boston. Oh, okay. There, I lived there and, and started it from scratch. Nice. Yeah, interestingly enough, though, I did have a dentist tell me that there was no way I was going to make it in the town because... There's already way too many dentists in town. Yeah. Sure enough, that wasn't the case. For me, it was more of the of balancing that mom and you know professional side. And I wanted to be able to pick my daughter up at school every day. Now great. She would tell me today if she was on this podcast, Mom, what are you talking about? You never picked me up from school. You always forgot me. Which is in some sense, true. She would call after school and say, my mom forgot me again. <laughs> Somebody please come and pick me up. So, you know, it's interesting the things that we go through as moms and professionals. Would you have children? I don't mean to ask if we don't, but no. Okay. So, you know, that balance of trying to fit it all in and be really good exactly. stewards of our time with both our patients and our families is tough. And, you know, you have a family, I, you know, I know that, that you're married and everything. And so they deserve time too from us. And, you know, that balance is tough at times. Any guidance for our young, young women out there who are trying to do it all? Oh, that is the hard part for sure is 
trying to find the balance and you know in some days you'll do more of one thing and other days you'll do more of the other and it all usually works out since i didn't have kids then kind of organized dentistry became my avocation and so that was fun and for me and i had the time and ability to do that so well we appreciate you taking the time because there are many of our young women and men who you know do have family responsibilities and can't do it so we appreciate that so tell us a little bit about your leadership roles and and some of the things that you did I started off kind of the first year out of uh, dental school in private practice and they, the county dental society, I just started going to the meetings and they asked if I might be interested in helping with National Children's Dental Health Month. And so I started there and then I became chair of it, of course. And then I became chair of the council that it was under, which is Council on Dental Care. And then just kind of as I developed different passions in different area of, areas of organized dentistry, then I kind of ended up taking a leadership role in that. And so I have been president of the county and then the state and of OAWD and of the Alumni Association and things like that. And then it, as that progressed, then got some leadership roles at the ADA level. So it's been fun and challenging. And I really like the collaborative style of leadership. So I agree with you 100%. What roles have you had at the ADA? Well, I'm an ADA delegate and well, I was. I just retired, and Tamara is my. She took over my position last weekend, and so I was head of the ODA of the Oklahoma delegation, and then I've been at the Council on Communications, and I was the liaison from communications to membership. So two different councils at the ADA level, and then I've been active in ACD at the national level in ADI also Academy of Dentistry International. So wow, those have been fun and challenging. I'm sure, I'm sure. Now, have you seen the outlook of females in those leadership roles change during your tenure? Yes, thank goodness, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about what that was like as a young female dentist in this all male world. Well, it was definitely challenging because it was like a good old boys club. And I can remember coming with first, you know, just listening and then coming with some ideas and opportunities that we could do that I'd be more than happy to do. And as they let me take on responsibilities and saw that I, not only did I do it well, I did it efficiently and effectively. And so then they were glad and pretty soon it got around well if you want something done right and fast you need to let a woman do it and so that was kind of fun breaking that leadership role and so it's been great but it was definitely when i was in dental school exactly 10 percent so seven out of 70 were females and then in private practice even fewer and now to see that i'm on the interview process with the OU College of Dentistry and to see that we have, you know, 50% males and females now is wonderful. So yeah, getting a lot better and the women are doing super in school. So 
I think that this year uh, we're going to be close to 60%. Wonderful. That is fabulous. It's pretty exciting. Good. Not that I don't want to see a good balance. I don't. I do. But I think we need to, I think for a while we need more women in the pipeline to catch up. Because in senior leadership roles, there aren't, you know, if you look at the ADA Board of Trustees, Linda and Edgar and I were talking about this as well. And if you look at the Board of Trustees, you know, none of them look like us. You know, there's so few women. And, you know, I give Kathy O'Loughlin extreme amount of respect and she inspires me. You know, she has inspired me my entire career because she has taken on some of those tough roles and she can hold her own with, with everyone, which is, you know, quite astounding. And I give her a lot of credit that it's not very many women that can lead at the level that she's at. So uh, she's amazing and fabulous. We are so lucky to have her without a doubt. Yeah. So good. I, I, she's, I think an inspiration for all of us without a doubt, without a doubt. So tell me a little bit about, Something that might surprise our audience about you. Okay, so me wanting to be an astronaut first was probably a surprise. It was. <laughs> In my undergraduate uh, down at OU, I happened to be on the cheerleading squad when we were national champions in football for the 74 and 75 years. So just being on a championship football team was really fun and having the opportunity to cheerlead at the same time. So usually not very many dentists or cheerleaders. So, But we actually had a um, student two years ago who was a Patriots cheerleader. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, she did it while she was a student. Wow. So yeah, it was a pretty cool thing. A pretty cool thing. Wow. That is a whole different level. Amazing. <laughs> now, did you go to the Rose Bowl or any of those big bowls? Yes. At the, when we got our national championship, both of those times were at the Orange Bowl. So, yeah. So that was fun. Very cool. So what is the single best piece of advice you've ever received and who gave it to you? You know, the treat, treat others as you would like to be treated and was kind of my philosophy of life. And of course, it's the golden rule. Also, when I first started my practice, one of my colleagues said, you need to get involved in your community because when your community thrives, you thrive. And I think that was very good advice. I, I just, that's where I got a lot of my patients just hanging out my shingle was through my acquaintances in working with the Chamber of Commerce or working with the hospital in all of the different areas of Boy Scouts of America. So I think that type of advice to get involved in your community would be something that I would highly recommend. That's great advice. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that you did so that we can give you know, the audience maybe some ideas of how they can do the same. Sure. Well, I, I started just at the Chamber of Commerce and you can be a member, but you can be in leadership too and involved. And so I uh, was in the Ambassadors Club, which welcomed new businesses. So I went to all of the ribbon cuttings for all the new businesses in our city. Then I became a member of the President's Club, which gets new members to join the Chamber of Commerce. So I was meeting all kinds of new people all the time with that. And then I became, I was in leadership Edmund, which had kind of the CEOs and professionals in the city. 
just going through a leadership phase or organization where we met once a month for the whole year and learned different aspects of the city. And then that became kind of our networking group because these are the movers and shakers of the city. Then I became, from that, I was uh, Leadership Oklahoma, which is the whole state of Oklahoma. And so I got to meet kind of the movers and shakers for this state. And so that was really fun to kind of develop those networking abilities. I became active in Rotary, the Rotary Club, and loved my Rotarian connections, especially my international, and became a chair of international committee. And we raised the funds for a Rotary Club in Brazil for pediatric cancer hospital. And so the president and I got to go to Brazil to give them the keys for the van. So that was great fun. And then I was on the hospital board and I was a scoutmaster for, at the time, Boy Scouts, but it was the Explorer Scouts, which took in girls that were interested in healthcare. So I kind of did a couple of different things. Then the mayor appointed me as the first chair of the Visual Arts Commission because I like art. And so we have grown that public arts ordinance to where we have about 180 pieces of public art for our city now. So I just, wherever I found a passion, I wanted to maximize that area. So... You know, it's amazing the number of things that you've done. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. In and of itself, those are all major, major things, major accomplishments to be at those levels. In addition to what you're doing for organized dentistry, but really great advice for young people because I think so often they think that there aren't any opportunities, but when you have time or you have the passion for something, if you just go, and offer a lending hand, the next thing you know, you're going to be doing a million one <laughs> That is exactly right. That's why I say take the opportunity to say yes and participate, and you never know what doors may open just because you were there and how they build on one another. I agree with you 100%. So, oh my gosh, that is great. Now, did you ever have to market your practice? You know, I really didn't. Right kind of just by me being involved in all the different activities that's how I marketed myself once upon a time I just because there was this great new magazine that started for the 405 zip code and I knew the editor of it and she approached me and so I took out an ad in that and I was surprised at return on my investment for that because it was an upscale magazine and kind of went to professionals and I just was doing a lot of cosmetics at the time. And so it kind of had that type of clientele. And, but other than that, I didn't really do too much of anything else. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's great. So a lot of times my students ask me about professional level education. And so I've been trying to bring in speakers for them to, you know, I I think there's a little bit of a gap between academia and what the real world of dentistry is like. And so I'm trying to bridge that a little bit by bringing in some speakers that, you know, are well known. Paul Homley was with us. Um, I have a bunch of people coming lined up. Uh, 
You know, and I think one of the other pieces of advice that I would give is never stop learning. And so I did the whole Panky Institute. I did, I did the Las Vegas Institute. And then I've been in the faculty club of the Spear Institute. I was one of the founding members of the faculty club of the Spear Institute. And I have my Spear study club. And so I just always made it a priority, even though like the board of dentistry would say, you need 20 hours a year to keep up. I would end up having like over three years have 250 hours of CE. So I just think it's very important to, I, dental school's fabulous, but it's kind of the tip of the iceberg. And when you start paying for it yourself, you really do pay attention a little bit more. And you start implementing it in your practice and it's phenomenal. So I highly, highly recommend continue like a continuum. You know, just hearing one lecture doesn't necessarily instill everything in you. But when you have a continuum, like uh, starting with the Panky Institute, it used to be a five-day course, and it was always during the week. So we took a week out of the office. And so I really liked when things started going more toward the weekend. So it'd be a Thursday through Sunday or something like that. But, you know you make the time to learn the things that you need to learn where you have a passion. I agree with you. I think that our learning never stops. It's just, it, dental school is just the beginning and I never stopped. I did very similar. I, I had a hundred at least every year. So I never had to worry about my credit hours, but I've been bringing in some speakers and Spear Education is one of the modules that we have brought in some of the classic ones so that they can start learning early and getting exposed to the higher level education models, because I think that it's important for them to use that as a platform to jump off of when they do graduate and start thinking about, okay, what are the things I really want to concentrate on? Did you do implants in your practice? I did not. I only did implant restorative. You know, that kind of came along after I'd already started practice and my oral surgeon and periodontist that I work with did a fabulous job of it. So it just was easy for me to just do the restorative phase. Right. One of my concerns today is, you know, the amount of debt the students are in is astronomical. You know, Adia is saying on average, it's just under 300,000, but what they're not factoring in is the amount of interest that starts on day one of entering dental school. So by the time four years rolls around, it's a lot of interest. In addition, they don't take into account the amount of money that they borrow for living expenses. Now, Oklahoma is a little bit different than Boston in the amount of money that they spend for living expenses. So, you know, where there was a time where you could work over the summer and pay for your tuition, that's no longer the case anymore. You just can't. You just can't. So, you know, I am concerned and I do believe that they need higher level training in some of these skills before they graduate, or at least an opportunity to be exposed to those skills, you know, right after graduation at a reasonable cost. I think that many of these companies, you know, when you think about uh, the amount of money, like a little bottle of Optibon costs, it's, it's, it's over a hundred dollars, you know, crazy. I do think that there, it's not, not so much gouging, but that this is an industry that has paid well and does get paid well 
that it's time for the industry leaders to give back to some of these young dentists and get them off their feet on the right ground. So, you know, hopefully we can start moving in that direction, especially given all of the, the circumstances that our dentists are in today. You know, given the shutdown for nearly seven weeks, I think that it's time for us to really kind of give back individually to our practice owners and, and help support them through this time. I agree with you 100%. You know, I um, have advocated at both the state and the national level about student loan debt. And I was on the committee that kind of started the student loan repayment program here in Oklahoma. So that was kind of near and dear to my heart. And it was always so frustrating to go to Washington and talk to our state senator, who was absolutely didn't care about student loan debt at all because he said, you know, Krista, if you live like a doctor when you're in dental school, then you live like a pauper when you're out, you know, because you're paying back debt. And he had no empathy for it at all. So I am amazed how much debt they have. And then to purchase a practice like mine so quickly out of school. So you know, being able to do some of those higher end dental procedures definitely can get more return on their investment. Without a doubt. Is there anyone in dentistry, and I know this is a really tough question, everyone that I'm asking this question of, you know, says, oh my gosh, that's so hard for me to answer. So is there anybody in dentistry that inspires you today? Of course, I've always admired and been inspired by Pat Blanton, and who is a periodontist. And then I, one of my dear friends here in Oklahoma, that's a female dentist, uh, orthodontist, was Van Greer. And then, as we've all already talked about, Kathy O'Laughlin is just above and beyond anything in dentistry that male or female. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I vote with you on that one. What helped you most to get you to where you are today? You know. When you were younger, did your parents inspire you to become an astronaut? You know, I, I think so often today, young women, and it doesn't matter what area of dentistry they're in, whether they're assistants, hygienists, you know, dentists, you know, we suffer from this insecurity a little bit and lack of confidence, especially where in our younger years. Do you remember when you reflect back if there were you know, were you insecure? Were you confident early on? You know, and if so, you know, what contributed to that? Absolutely. I, oh, it's just, it's even painful to think back about how shy I was. And I think what helped is being successful at things that I didn't think I could do. And then once I achieve that success, then you develop a little bit more confidence and are willing to take the next step. And I think always striving to be the best that I can be in any area gives you confidence. And I think that helped. My parents always said that I could do whatever I wanted to do and that my gender did not hold me back because I grew up at a time when most people, you know, it was just expected to go to college and most people, females, were getting degrees in education or nursing. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't want, to, neither one of those met my desire to do what I wanted to do. So I just kind of 
stepped kind of outside of that and they supported me in that. But I remember being scared and not confident about doing something with an audience and my mother just saying, you can do this, you can do this, you talk to us all the time <laughs> and you can get out there and talk to them and do your thing. And so after I kind of got going, you kind of take a deep breath and you say, hey, this is going okay. It's not as bad as I created it in my mind, right? That is exactly right. So much worse in my mind. I do think that we're, we all have to be really conscious of that. You know, what really goes on up there really affects our emotional state. It affects everything that we're able to do. In fact, it, it actually decreases your educational level when you are not thinking clearly. So we don't make good decisions when we're afraid. And so, you know, just taking one step, I think, is makes it okay. You know, once we see that we can take that one step, okay, maybe I can take two, you know, and just keep moving forward. So that's great. You know, having parents like that is, is really helpful. But I do think that there are times when you may not have supportive parents, but you have to teach yourself how to do it too. And I think that there's ways to do that. And I think that us supporting each other is, is one of those ways that we can help. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I think a, kind of a fearless work ethic is advantageous too is that i'm just going to get up and go to work and work hard and come home every day and do the best i can do and tomorrow i'm going to do it even better i'm going to learn from whatever problems i may have had today whether it's working with my staff or my patients or this particular procedure but i think kind of doing those same baby steps and being fearless and working hard i think if you're going to succeed in anything you have to just work hard at it I agree. And commitment to that on a daily practice, right? Because you can't start something today and then bag it tomorrow. It's like, you know, that roller coaster ride we get on with diets. It's like such a waste of time. Don't bother dieting, right? Either <laughs> right. You become a blimp or you take the action that you need to take in order to stay where you want to stay. So we're all accountable for ourselves, right? And it's the choices we make today, I think, make our tomorrow. And so you have to make good choices, right? Absolutely. Who is the one person who had the biggest impact on your life? Is there anybody that comes to mind? Well, just right off the top, my dad, for sure. I, you know, I think all, all little girls love their daddies, but I thought my dad was especially wonderful and was so supportive of me. And he had a great work ethic and took the time to kind of be with me in a lot of my activities. My mom always was there, but my dad did more so than other dads as far as you know coaching me in softball and coming to my basketball games and things like that and my we lived across the street from my grandparents and so it was so much fun walking to school in grade school and grandma would be out in the garden and she'd bring me a peony to take to my teacher or a bouquet of other flowers so those were my paternal grandparents which was my dad and and he kind of had that he in his dna and so i think that he's passed it down to me also oh that's wonderful what great memories huh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh gosh have you had an aha moment where you realized oh my gosh i'm doing exactly what i was meant to be doing 
I thought about that. And one of the moments in, I did a lot of medical mission trips and I was working in Israel at Palestinian refugee camps. And I happened to be working on the rooftop just because the light was better. And it was like, I love this. I love doing this. I love my patients. I love the people I'm working with. I love my profession. I love being able to do something for others that they can't do for themselves. And I like to especially be around the disenfranchised and be, and what happened whenever I do that, I open myself up and I am 1000 times more blessed by doing that and then anything that I could ever do for them professionally. But I will always remember my Israel experience. Obviously it made a, a huge impression on you because you could see your whole body light up. <laughs> I mean, it just was very apparent. I do think that when we are in those, those moments where we recall that much emotion, that they're providing more for us than we could ever even think of providing for them. Absolutely. Is there any obstacles that you might have had in your life that you were hard to overcome? A junior, as a junior in high school, I was driving to an appointment and in a bad storm and I hydroplaned and ended up having fracturing my face. So I had a Lepore 3 osteotomy. And I remember at the time that I thought, oh, I'm never going to get over this. I'm going to have to live in my parents' attic the rest of my life. <laughs> and, you know, and where they had to stabilize me for three days before they could even operate. And I had broken 27 bones. And, and I really did not think I was going to get beyond the physical healing, but also the mental healing. Right. And I think the love and support that I was shown during that time and gave me a lot of confidence there too. So I think that was good. It's so tough to go through things like that at the high school level because it does impact us. I don't think we're mature enough then, you know, as people to understand that, you know, the, things like that can happen. Right. And you're more concerned about your friends and the impact, you know, what, what am I going to look like? And, you know, how are people going to perceive me? So congratulations. That's a huge thing to go through and, and get over. So congratulations. That's, oh, thank you. I bet your parents, you know, thinking about my own child, you know, through those college years and high school, every time I would bag her coming home with alcohol on her breath, I'm like, I am going to kill you myself. <laughs> if anything happens to you, I am just going to kill you. <laughs> because, you know, the stress of even thinking about it as a parent, and now that she's a parent, I chuckle and I give, I tease her all the time. And I'm like, oh, just wait. <laughs> oh, good for you. I remember I was laying on the gurney and in the hospital, my mom coming in and seeing me and just breaking down crying and laying on my stomach. And I just thought, oh, it must really be bad. I must look bad. Uh, but she obviously recovered as well. Yes. Yes, everyone did. What's your favorite way to release some stress? Do you have stress in your life? Oh, who doesn't? Of course, of course. I just, I like to walk and I have a dog and my dog and I walk 
between now that I'm retired, we, we walk a lot more. So I can walk maybe between six and nine miles a day. And, oh, good and for you. I used to work out a lot more and I haven't been working out as much, but more walking. And then I like to just read books. So that's all fun for me. Are you a sunbather like Tamara? <laughs> Tamara has that beautiful pool in her backyard. Yeah. And, you know, we in Oklahoma, I do like to be outside. I don't know that I like to sit in the sun to read my books, but I do like to be outside and enjoy the outdoors. We back up to a little pond, and so we have wildlife. And so we have deer and turkey and geese and ducklings right now. So it's all fun watching the wildlife. Of course, now it's spring season. Everybody's out, you know, making babies and all that kind of stuff, right? Right, right. You know, it's funny. I can remember the first time I saw a turkey in a tree, and I was telling some friends about the turkeys in the tree, and they're like, MJ, turkeys don't fly. I'm telling you, I saw a turkey in a tree. And they were really giving me a really hard time about the turkeys in the tree. But I know you know that turkeys can fly and get up into the trees. Yes. In fact, we had this one tree and we had seven turkeys roosting in it every night. And they would run down our retaining wall to kind of like an airplane lift to get up there. And to see them fly up into the tree was fabulous. So, yes, I'm with you. You are correct. See? <laughs> I can go back and tease all those friends that were yes. giving me such a hard time. So do you have a guilty pleasure or a secret dream that you want to share with our audience? Well, of course I have both. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Please tell. Uh, my guilty pleasure always is just nachos. You know, that's my go-to. And something that I can make easily on my own. And then my secret dream. I love to go to Cirque du Soleil, and I want to be one of the trampoline artists. Wow. <laughs> You're going to have to practice for a little while on that one. I think I will. I think I'm actually <laughs> going to have to come back in a different body in a different lifetime. Yeah, it's getting closer to not being able to do that anymore. Uh, speaking from experience, not, not knowing anything about you, I know that you work <laughs> out, but... No. Oh, gosh. So when you're having a bad day, how do you maintain your emotional composure? I think that, you know, going back to our, our private practice discussion... You know, many patients can be affected by our mood and we have to be really careful on, you know, the emotional side of things. And women, of course, you know, I feel are much more emotional than men are. And we, we are not as good at hiding it as the men are. And that's one of our, you know, weaknesses. I think that, you know, I remember many times in private practice where, my emotions would get the best of me. I know that my assistant used to kick me underneath the chair <laughs> to snap me out of it. And I was thankful for that because you get in those funks and sometimes you don't even know it. So what do you do to kind of protect yourself from, you know, getting into that emotional state that might not be good for, for patient care? I agree with you 100%. And I remember just kind of taking a deep breath and trying to refocus on what I'm doing and where I am, you know, it is so funny because my patients always said that they would love to play poker with me because I could not 
keep a straight face on anything. So if I was pleased, I was very, very pleased. And if I was sad or upset, I was very upset. And so, you know, I think that's just kind of how I am. But when things weren't going well, then I just had to take a deep breath and kind of refocus and think about kindness and confidence. Those are two great words to concentrate on. Kindness and confidence. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Looking back, you know, in your career, is there any piece of advice that you would like to give anyone, whether it's an assistant, a hygienist, any women in dentistry that, that you think that they should pay attention to? Like, what would you tell your younger self? Try to be the best you can be day in and day out and that it takes hard work in whatever area that you work in that you show up and be the best that you can be and to aim high and there's going to be setbacks and don't be treat those as challenges and get better with them i think don't get down on yourself just stay with it I can't agree with you more. Oh my gosh. You know, there are going to be tough days and we do have to get dust ourselves back off and get back up and do it again the next day because we can't give up. If we have a goal, we have to keep focused on that goal and just keep on going no matter what. And you can't take no for an answer. You know, I, I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that many women just take no for an answer and just turn away and don't fight back. And you know what? No, you fight back. <laughs> That's right. That's how you get ahead. And that you just keep going up that hill. That's right. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, Krista. I can't thank you enough for being here with me today taking your time out of your day to share a little bit of wisdom with our women, no matter what age they are, because I think we can learn at any age. We're, it, we're not immune to that. So I just want to thank you for being here so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.